Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk AM 1150. Great to be here as always today on this spring day. Happy spring, everybody. What a great day to take your dog for a walk. Uh, Even go somewhere new. You know, I talk to people a lot in my um, practice of doing mostly private sessions with people and their dogs all over the greater Seattle area with my company, Sensitive Dog, which is what I'm doing when I'm not on air. Um, And I talk a lot about the importance of providing dogs with both mental and physical exercise on a day-to-day basis. So um, super important for dogs to, you know, get out, not only get out, but even, that's why I say even go somewhere new. New sights, new smells, new stimulations, because they tend to oftentimes in modern life anyway, lead kind of boring lives where they don't really get out to new places or they're maybe other than just a, a couple short walks are kind of confined to the house or the yard. And this came up in my conversation with Temple Grandin a few weeks ago, which was a real treat. Uh, I interviewed her on the show. I think it was March 8th was that interview. And she said it's uh, in some, she feels bad for dogs these days because of leash laws and um, which are necessary to keep them safe, of course, but they end up losing a lot of freedom as a result of that and um, end up living, she said, in some cases, almost like in fancy zoo enclosures. And that really struck me when she said that. So, you know, the reason why we say, what a great day to take your dog for a walk is to really promote getting your dog out, getting them exercise, um, and then also how important it is to engage their brain and give them mental stimulation as well. So I'm going to talk a little bit later in the show about um, my experience working with mostly women over the last 12 or so years and their dogs, probably over easily over 90% of my clients over the years have been women. Um, But, you know, really clarifying these concepts of leadership and, you know, there's all this um, writing and talk in the dog industry about how you're supposed to be the alpha or be the pack leader. And then some People are saying, no, 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 you know, don't do that at all. And, um, you know, it's really kind of clarifying this. Well, what, you know, I'm at least giving my opinion, what does, you know, what does your dog need to be happy and to feel safe and secure? Um, what does that mean to be your dog's leader? Um, so it's actually another thing that we talked about in my interview with Temple Grandin was about how, You can actually look at it more in terms of like a parental role um, as opposed to like an alpha. And it's much more relatable that way, too. So but the conversation of leadership and working with dogs does bring up a lot of opportunity for, um, you know, to talk about some important issues, especially for women, because women are not. Uh, trained in our culture, generally speaking, to really be assertive and to be a large presence uh, in the same way that men are. So it it can bring up a lot for women. So I'm going to get into that a little bit later in the show, but I wanted to talk first about um, reactivity and working with reactive dogs, because uh, this is something that I've come up, well, I work with all the time regularly, but Every once in a while, I kind of have trends in my training clients, and I'm working with a lot of reactive dogs, 
especially little dogs, um, large dogs too, but right now, especially little dogs and for some reason, especially Pomeranians right now. Um, but to just give you some information on, on generally, you know, how to effectively work on this, um, of course, every dog is different. So when I give training or behavior advice, it's, it's um, coming from a perspective of, of knowing and being sensitive to the fact that every dog is different and, and should be worked with, you know, as a unique individual. But generally speaking, you know, over 12 years of working with people and dogs, um, there are some things that generally work for uh, reactivity, working with reactive behavior. So I'm going to talk about that in the first segment of the show, and then we're going to listen to a conversation that I had actually in 2014 about um, women in leadership and dogs. Uh, Really interesting. I'm actually just finishing a book that I've written about this topic that gets really, really, really in-depth into this conversation, and I'm super excited about it. We're in the final editing process right now, which is um, taking some time. The whole the whole process is taking a ton of time, which is fine. Um, but there's a conversation I'm very familiar with. So uh, before I talk about reactive dogs, just wanted to acknowledge our show partners, the Natural Pet Pantry, raw and cooked food for dogs and cats. You can find them online at naturalpetpantry.com. Uh, just incredible food. It's local, locally made um, raw or cooked, they have two different formulas and it comes frozen and you just thaw it out and feed, uh, feed your dog. You know, nutrition is the most important thing. One of the most important things to overall health and dogs are, are, and cats too, are just eating so much processed food, you know, brown pellets or whatever it looks like in a can. And, um, it's just one, the, the ingredients can be really questionable, but also the processing is pretty rough. So, um, just have seen so many amazing stories of how dogs and cats have transformed on Natural Pet Pantry. So definitely check that out, naturalpetpantry.com. Also, Pure Air Odor Eliminator. Uh, Awesome for any household odors. Um, You can use it on anything you can put water on. It's good for surfaces and also for in the air. Um, Fabrics, like I said, anything you can put water on that stinks. It's great for Pure Air. And uh, for the month of March... Pure Air is on sale at all QFC stores. Uh, so uh, QFC, if you live locally, you know what that is. So be sure to find it there. You can also get it at uh, PCC, Mud Bay, Natural Pet Pantry, and you can always go to their store online, pure the pureairstore.com. And, of course, that's spelled Pure Air, A-Y-R-E. And uh, last but not least, Jet City Animal Clinic in Seattle. Um, Dr. Erica Anderson offers excellent care for dogs and cats, and um, probably other animals too. JetCityAnimalClinic.com. They're wonderful there. Traditional vet with a very open mind. Really great to work with. So working with reactive dogs, one of the, you know, oftentimes when I meet a, a person or family and their dog, and the dog is reactive. So what do I mean that, by that? I mean the dog is, you know, barking at things all the time, like feeling like all the time, barking at this, barking at that, really sensitive to sounds or people or just really having strong reactions in different environments. And 
So there's a lot to this, but so I'm just going to kind of recap this to give you some information. If you live locally and you have a reactive dog that you need some help with and you want to set up one-on-one training with me, I'm certainly available for that. It's what I do full-time. You can just email me at julie at sensitivedog.com. You can also check out my training website, which is sensitivedog.com. Or you can call me 206-372-7399 and we can set up a consultation Basically, your first place to start is to establish a solid foundation of training because one of the keys of working with reactive dogs is to give them structure in a way that engages their brain because that helps to ground them. A reaction is not a thought process. So if you can, in a lot of cases, if you can get the dog working for you and engage their brain and put them on task and get them doing something already, um, Like if the dog's leash reactive, for example, teaching the dog how to work for you by walking on a loose leash at your side. Um, Oftentimes, if you get them focused on you and get them working for you, then they're not going to have a reaction in the first place or as strong of a a reaction to something else while they're out on leash with you. That's one example. Another one would be um, dogs are very reactive when people come over. Okay, well, how can you put structure in place in that context to help engage the dog's brain and also give them direction? So oftentimes one of the most common things I'll do is to teach a dog to wait on a bed or rug. And then so one to first teach them to do that with no distractions and then teach them to do that um with increasing levels of distraction and then building them up to the building their tolerance of distraction up to where they can actually tolerate waiting on their bed even when you're knocking on the, when you are knocking on the door opening the door saying come in you know sort of reframing whenever the um uh sort of setting it up like how it how things sound when people are coming over by knocking the door kind of recreating that environment for them as they're practicing doing something as simple as waiting on their bed and uh, by doing that you're establishing Um, control of the environment, which is important. You're engaging their brain and you're also relieving them of the job of needing to be the one who deals with the person at the door. And if they feel like they're the one who has to decide whether the person is, you know, clear or not or whatever. So just, you know, the focus on how important training is, especially if you're working with reactive behavior. And it's not just training, like do it because I'm holding a treat up, but really working on some depth of relationship and how important that is. Um, in getting to do- getting to ground dogs and getting them feeling more comfortable in situations is focusing on the work. There's so much that you can access through the working relationship. I mean, after all, dogs and people have been living together for, you know, tens of thousands of years, and the nature of that relationship really has been working together. So for a lot of dogs, that is very natural to them. Now, the job description is going to depend on the breed of the dog. But other than that, um, you know, so finding what what kind of uh, work does your dog uh, comes most naturally to your dog. And then also, how does your dog respond best to being worked with? Because, again, every dog is different and should be worked with um, accordingly. Really important not to try to fit every, you know, every dog into one style of training or one method because they're all so different. But engaging the brain first 
So putting in some structure in a way that engages their brain through training accomplishes a number of things at the same time. One, it engages their brain, which grounds and calms them generally. And then you're also taking control of the situation, which is really what leadership is about with dogs, is, is taking control. So speaking of leadership, when we come back from break, we'll talk more about leadership with dogs, especially as it pertains to women. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Hey, dog show fans. Does something stink in your home or car? Pure Air is a powerful odor eliminator that is the only natural food-grade product in its category. It works on bedding, kennels, litter boxes, urine, vomit, poop, even skunk spray. You know, all the fun smells our pets bring into our home. It's so non-toxic that you can literally eat it, a requirement for our home and our dogs. Spray pure air on anything you can put water on and let your nose watch the odor disappear. Ask for pure air in stores that specialize in natural, non-toxic products for home. Or visit dogradioshow.com for a link to their website. I'm Julie Forbes, your host of The Dog Show. Pure air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice. JetCityAnimalClinic.com. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to animal communicator Darcy Pariso, we cover the world of animals. This week, March 29th, it's an encore presentation of Animal World. The first half is behavior training and healing and general talk about the elephants with me. The second half, I'm joined by Aline Fortgang, friends of Woodland Park Zoo Elephants. Tune in for the latest on bamboo and chai and how you can help get them to a sanctuary. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. 1150kknw.com, your connection to Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. 
Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. That's like a 80s, like, sort of Euro rock song, but it's about dogs. That's, <laughs> that's right. It's the Aquabats uh, doing huh. Canis Lupus. Hmm. It's all about dogs. Canis Lupus? Just like the show. So. Why is it called Canis Lupus? Because that's wolves. Canis familiaris. But uh, are, are, are today's dogs uh, <laughs> descendants of the wolves? Uh, that's the most popular theory, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a connection there. <laughs> there is. <laughs> Just interesting that they, you know, because if it was Canis Lupus, you'd think they might sing about wolves. But... I, I think they're talking about all dogs Canids in general. In general, yeah. I see, I see. That makes sense. Well, you never uh, cease to amaze me, Eric, and your ability to find all these different dog songs. I mean, I'd be playing God Loves a Terrier probably (laughs) for the last 300 episodes. So We've done that one plenty. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah, it is a good one. Okay, of course, the reference from the movie Best in Show, which I assume if you're listening to this radio show, you must have seen that movie Best in Show. And if you haven't, watch it tonight. It's so funny. So um, I wanted to talk about, um, you know, there's so many amazing people out there doing so many awesome things with dogs that I interview lots and lots of people on the show and um, have to kind of remember to speak from my own experience sometimes. So I'm going to talk today about um, a topic that's been something that I've been focusing on and writing about a lot, which is uh, the conversation of how working with dogs and people for me over the last 12 plus years has, you know, what that's taught me and sort of the insights that I'm getting about dogs and women and leadership, because most of my clients over the years have been women. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think Women in heterosexual couples are the ones that are more likely to reach out to a professional for help with the dog, whether there's a behavioral challenge or if it's just a new puppy, it kind of falls under family categories. So to generalize, usually that's going to be the woman's role. Um, I also think that um, women might just be more likely to reach out for help with their dog in general and also um, might end up needing help more than men do with their dogs because of how women are raised in this country versus how men are as far as having a large presence, being assertive, being powerful, and all of that kind of thing. Because if you equate masculinity with male and femininity with female, then, um, you know, if you look under all of the words that are synonymous with femininity in our language and in our society, they all would be under the category of weak. Um, So, which I don't buy necessarily, but that's what we're sort of taught. So there's a number of reasons why this conversation is specifically geared towards women, um, and that being one of the big, big reasons. But it, it brings up a lot. Working with dogs in in and people and coaching people how to work with their dog, how to communicate with their dog, um, speaking the dog's language brings up a lot of opportunity for conversation about a lot of really deep topics like, you know, motivation in general, like societal expectations of women versus men and how that relates to power and leadership. 
um, questions that I've started asking and researching and writing about are, well, it's, you know, it doesn't seem like the best recipe for success to try to fit a woman into a leadership role that's not comfortable for her or not authentic for her. So one of the things that's so important, like around, for example, like setting boundaries with your dog, I mean, that's something that is, you know, I hate to focus on boundaries, but that's the place where people have the most trouble and where people ask me the most questions around one of the few topics I would say like at the top of a list is, you know, where the, there needs a boundary. The, there's, there's a place where there is a boundary needed and the person doesn't know how to set that boundary with their dog. Um, every dog is different, of course. Uh, every dog is a unique individual. And it's a matter of really learning how to communicate effectively with your dog as an individual because dogs are as different from each other as people are as well. But when we're talking about speaking a dog's language, you know, dogs aren't verbal. So, well, yeah, I know that. But, like, really think about that. Dogs are not verbal. Using words to communicate with your dog doesn't work. It's not speaking their language. They don't get that. Dogs can learn hundreds of words on average. They can learn what words mean, but that's not their language. So for wanting to communicate and educate a dog about this or that, the most effective way to do that is going to be is going to speak their language so that there's they're not trying to figure out what the heck you mean. So, well, okay, well, what does that mean? How do we communicate with dogs? Um, I've talked about this before on the show. Dogs use their bodies. They use their energy, the quality of energy that they generate, or you could call that presence, how they direct their energy. They communicate a lot with muscle tension, um, body language. I mean, that's like a term that's so, so people are very familiar with that. People have heard body language. Oh, yeah, I know what body language is, but we're not really that present to body language. We're so in our heads. Talk, 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 technology, fast, 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 fast. And we, uh, the way that our culture is in America anyway, is that we are not trained and practiced in uh, being present, first of all. Slow down. Be present. Tune into your dog. If dogs don't speak words, how do you listen to them? What does that mean? Well, listening is not necessarily going to be with your ears. They're vocal, but they're not verbal. So tuning in in other ways, tuning into how you feel, tuning into, you know, what are you reading about your dog, looking at your dog's body, their muscle tension, how they're moving, and really getting to know your dog as an individual, but also, um, and this is a place where people are really challenged, because like if someone has a dog and they've never had a dog before, they're not necessarily going to know, oh, well, oh, that's a different kind of bark than this other kind of bark that is really means more that the dog is not happy. That's more of a bark that says something else. And we were talking about this last week a little bit with Eric's question about barking. And so, you know, there's a lot to it, but it's so it's not verbal. It's so it brings up a lot of opportunity as I've been coaching people, mostly women over the last 12 years how to communicate with their dogs. It's not something to take for granted to just tell a woman to be a bigger presence. So I'll give you an example. So teaching a dog to wait at the door. So how I do it 
And wait is just asking the dog not to cross through the doorway. So it's just like, don't cross the line, basically. But we're in a doorway, so it's actually framed. There's often a change in flooring. So the boundary, the, the visual boundary is very clear for the dog. So you walk the dog up to the doorway. You're standing with the dog. You tell the dog to wait. And then you step in front of the dog and face the dog so that you are on the other side, just on the other side of the doorway, and your dog is still inside. And then you just say, good wait, good wait, as you're standing in the doorway and occupying the doorway facing the dog. The dog's like, well, I don't really know what you're saying, but okay, good wait, good wait, good wait. And then if the dog's not trying to get through the doorway, then you might take a step back. And a lot of times what will happen, and again, we're teaching the dog how to wait at the door. They don't know it yet. When you take a step back, the dog goes to walk through the doorway with you. And then you have to communicate to the dog, no, you need to wait on the other side of the doorway until I ask you to come through. Well, how do you communicate to the dog that walking through the doorway is the wrong choice in a way that the dog, as a dog, is going to understand? Uh, and it's this one is like so simple. You just use your body. You don't even have to use the leash. I recommend you have the dog on a leash if you're going like from inside to outside just as a safety. So just hold the end of the leash, but you don't even have to use it. So if, as you start to take a step back, the dog steps forward, and then as soon as they cross that line, you just step into the dog no, and tell them no and push them back with your body, not with your hands. A lot of times dogs, especially if they're sensitive to body movement, you're not even going to make contact with them. They're going to they're going to see and feel you step into them and they're just going to back up with the word no, no, wait. And then immediately again, good wait, good wait, good wait, good wait, good wait. Take a step back again. If the dog steps through, no, step up into the dog, wait. Good wait, good wait, good wait. After a few times, the dog's like, okay, I get it. You, like, I don't step through the doorway. Good wait, good wait. And then, okay, let's go turn and walk the dog through. Well, you do that a few times, a few repetitions of that session, and the dog is going to understand pretty well, at least with no distractions, how to wait at the door. It's pretty straightforward. There's no translation when you use your body like that with dogs. That's an example I've worked, I have taught thousands of dogs, literally, over the years, how to wait at the door. And it's easy. You don't have to use a leash. You don't have to give a leash and collar correction. You don't have to do anything other than use your body. Now, how much you need to use your body is going to depend on the dog. Some dogs are very polite and very sensitive to body movement. And they might step, you know, gingerly step over the line and then you tell them no, and you even lean into them, and they're going to back up. I'm sorry, I won't ever do that again. That's a particularly sensitive dog. So you're not going to have to do much to establish yourself. And then the other end of the spectrum is going to be the dog that's like out of my way and just trying to blow past you. And in that case, you're going to have to have a, a stronger presence just to get the dog's attention. Or maybe the dog's not that sensitive to you moving into them like that. So you, maybe you're going to need to shuffle your feet, stomp your feet a little bit and move into them and bump them off of your leg in order for them to even notice that you're communicating with them. Again, every dog is different. But so the, the variation is going to depend on the dog you're working with and their individual sensitivity level. But the fundamentals are there and it's very straightforward. Well, 
that's great. But what happens when you have a dog that's particularly pushy and not sensitive to body language and you have a woman who is not a very strong presence and not used to asserting herself anywhere in life or in many places in life? Because I have worked with a lot of these combinations. And so one of the things about working with dogs and people that's interesting is the particular combination of human and dog. Because every dog is different, every person is different. And sometimes the the dogs really challenge their humans to really learn how to be this way or that. Sometimes the human needs to learn how to soften themselves because the dog is super sensitive and that person has a very strong presence. And other times it's the flip side. Well, one of the things that I've noticed is that um, in my reflection, you know, reflecting on this and, pra- you know, having these conversations over and over and over and over and over again, is that sometimes women are not necessarily comfortable with or just not familiar with using their bodies in that way and setting a boundary physically, occupying space. So how you stand in the doorway. So this is where we get into the nonverbal communication. The One of the One of the fundamentals of this exercise as an example, and I can apply this to so many different things, not, you know, outside of just waiting at the door, but this is a great example of this, is you can move your body into a dog and step towards a dog, and they may or may not step back depending on the dog, but, and also depending on how you're doing it. Are you doing it where you're sort of like, are you doing it shyly? Because if you're doing it sort of with and okay well what does that mean how do you how do you give shy body language your shoulders your your you know you might not make eye contact your shoulders might be slumped a little bit you might be sucking in your abdomen a little bit um you're not projecting your energy forward and out it's just you're sort of you're sort of shrunken in what are those um is it a hedgehog where they like Flip into a ball, and they all the all the outer... armadillo. Is that what you're thinking of? No. Well, I think they do it too. Yeah. Which reminds me of this video of an armadillo playing with a toy. That was the, like one of the cutest <laughs> things I've ever seen on Facebook. Anyway, but I think there's like a a, a prickly. I think it's porcupine. Maybe, no, I think it's a hedgehog. Hedgehog. Okay. Where they like they like suck in, and all that's they're like a ball of prickles and they you know are are protecting their vulnerable part well if you have a dog especially that's particularly bullheaded and wanting to just blow past you and not convinced that they need to wait at the door i think you're right about hedgehog hedgehog, yeah. yeah then you need to just occupy the space in a way so that the dog is going to pay attention to you so here's the coaching that i often give people put your shoulders back um, don't bend over. So stand up straight, put your shoulders back, and imagine um, pushing out, like um, projecting your energy out from your hips. Um, stomping your feet a little bit. So shuffling your feet, that creates sound and also kind of s- kicks up some energy on the ground that helps to get dog's attention. Moving into the dog. And also, you know, eye contact, your tone. So it's a you know, body language is one thing, but, you know, body language isn't the, the deepest level of the conversation. I think beneath that, it's really, you know, well, how do you feel? Are you like, I'm in, you know, don't cross through the boundary. And then the dog is either going to take you seriously or not. You don't have to be a jerk about it. I'm not saying that. 
and I'm not saying that you need to try to be someone that you're not, but it's the I think the the particular challenge is getting people, women, to uh, connect to that they are setting a boundary and that they're asserting themselves and to get them to authentically connect to themselves in that way. And then when they do, whatever the style is, is going to be genuine and the dog is going to know that they are being present and are connected with whatever it is, the, the request that they're making of the dog. I mean, it's amazing to see how the dogs respond when you put all those little pieces together and make those adjustments. It's like night and day. The dog completely ignores you with the one way. And then when you make those adjustments, they're like, oh, OK, I'll pay attention to you because you are being present. You're grounded. You're holding yourself in a way that's letting me know that you mean what you say. And again, it's not about being a jerk. It's not about making the dog afraid of you or being a bully. It's just about generating yourself in a powerful way, which brings up a lot more conversation, like women's relationship with their bodies, which is not something I'm going to get into on today's show. That's probably a whole nother show outside of the dog show. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a whopper of a um, topic, though. You know, how much are we, and not just women, I mean men too, you know, how much are we really connected to our bodies and really present in our bodies? And we're also not used to using our bodies to communicate, especially not setting boundaries, because we as a culture within, you know, human to human are discouraged appropriately to not, you know, you know, what do we tell kids? Use your words, use your words, you know, don't hit the kid in the sandbox for stealing your shovel. Tell you know you, you use your words, but dogs aren't verbal, so we can we can set boundaries and correct dogs physically without it being anywhere in the realm of abuse. And I think that's one of the collapses that has happened in the dog training industry, because there's a lot of trainers and professionals in the industry that are not comfortable with any form of correction, and that's just not nature. And it's not dogs. Dogs correct each other, so it, it's not a big deal. It's just knowing how to do it. And doing it in a way that's fair and appropriate um, for what the dog is up to. And it's not about being abusive or being, you know, dominant or alpha or whatever. It's just you sometimes give a consequence. That's it. And sometimes the correction is just using your body. Step into the dog. Um, not step on the dog. Step into the dog. Shuffle your feet. Um, push them out with your hips. Put your shoulders back. Like, occupy that space. So, so much of that is the powerful presence. So I said that there's, you know, it's not a conversation to take for granted because, you know, women are not trained to be a large presence in the room, um, to be loud, to be, um, you know, big energy. It's not, in our culture, it's not feminine. It's not ladylike. And, you know, it really creates an imbalance. And then on the other side, you know, men are told that they're, to generalize, you know, not to cry and not to show emotion and not to express those more feminine qualities. And they, that also robs them as well. And, you know, it's all about balance. My training philosophy is, is so much about balance. And I think balance is such an important word. And also knowing who you're working with, both who's this person, um, what is this person, you know, if you take away all of the conditioning and all the insecurities and all that kind of stuff, what's this person about? You know, are they a stronger presence or not? Because some people just aren't. And that's OK, too. 
So then how do we need to adjust what we do with training to help this person who might not have a big, strong presence to set boundaries with their dog, especially if the dog has a big, strong presence? That's probably one of the hardest combinations is when just genuinely the dog has a larger presence and more confidence than the human. Um, So I said it brings up a lot of um, opportunity for conversation about a lot of things. One of those things is motivation. And, you know, talking about the dog training industry in general, there's a lot of different ideas and philosophies about motivation, and there's not one right answer for sure. Every dog's an individual. That was one of the things that I appreciated so much about my conversation with um, Helen Cariotis, who's the president of NADOI, National Association of Dog Obedience Instructors. I talked with her last week. Um, You can find that in all of our episodes archived on iTunes, on our website, dogradioshow.com, and I also post them all to our Facebook page as well, The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Um, You know, there's so many different training tools and styles, and it's really about finding that magic combination for each dog-human partnership. Um, But really, like, fundamentally, it brings up an interesting conversation about motivation. Um, How do we motivate a dog to work for you, to do what you're asking them to do? And this is something that I've been doing a lot of research about recently, about kind of looking into, like, if, if you look at, like, corporations, to generalize, in this country, corporations, the government, you know, the, the large institutions that built this country were built by men. They're, you could say, sort of um, masculine models of of leadership and sort of the old. And we are definitely working away from this even now. There's a lot of corporations and, um, you know, large corporations even that that don't necessarily do this, but these are generalizations. So if you look at like the old top-down leadership model of like, I'm on top, I'm the boss, you are beneath me, and then you are beneath him, and then you are beneath her, and everybody knows their place, and it's like a ladder. There's one person at each spot or something like that, or there's certainly one person at the very top, and there the focus is on like maintaining that top position, and in order to do so, everybody else is beneath you. Well, and then that can be enforced in a number of different ways. But one of the books that I've read recently, which is actually an old book, it talked about a different sort of um, visualization for that instead of like a ladder, like the corporate ladder. Um, the, she was interviewing, I think it was the C, the founder or CEO or something like that of Girl Scouts of America. And she had talked about this um, um, image of a web, a spider web. And that this might be a more uh, feminine style of leadership where the one in like sort of the top dog, so to speak, pun intended, um, is actually in the middle of the web. And all of the support around that person is around that person sort of going out in these circles that are all connected with these, you know, the whole thing about the web is that it's all connected and that the that style of leadership is really about, you know, I'm in the center. I'm clearly the one in charge. 
I'm the leader, but I'm also going to work to empower everyone around me to be the best version of themselves. And one of the things that I tell people a lot when they're working with their dog is, you know, we're going to, especially if a dog that's, if it's a dog that's, you know, kind of been through some hard times or has, you know, been passed around, you know, in rescue groups or rehomed or had some sort of trauma or something like that and has some stuff in the way for them is, um, or it's just kind of a tough individual, but, you know, really recognizing we're going to work to have this dog be the best version of him or herself that they can be, you know, not this dog will, will potentially never be, you know, a therapy dog and going to children's hospitals and visiting kids or nursing homes, but how, you know, what is the best version of this dog as an individual? And I think that that's just fundamentally as far as motivation goes, because the conversation in the dog world is a lot about like dominance. Okay, I've talked about that on the show. Definitely look up if you want to talk, uh, if you want to listen to those conversations. Patricia McConnell, I interviewed her for the first time this summer. Uh, I think it was in June. And it was one of my favorite conversations. I've had so many, but um that I've just adored. But this one was awesome. We talked about dominance. And then I also talked with Mark Beckoff last summer. So that would be the summer of 2013. And he um, is a brilliant uh, scientist as well. And he's done a lot of work on animals and emotions. And we talked about dominance or the D word as well. So check that out if you want to get into a little more depth about what dominance is actually. Um, Patricia McConnell really put it very well. That was a great conversation. And, um, of course, you can find that on iTunes as a free podcast or on our website, dogradioshow.com. Just go to the podcast page and scroll down until you find it. Um, So lots of easy ways to listen. Anyway, so there's all this, like, you know, dominance and alpha, and I know I'm supposed to be alpha, and, you know, and it's like people have these ideas of what that means. And the association, for sure, of the word dominance is not a positive association. And I wouldn't say alpha is either. It's kind of like, oh, okay, here comes the big scary whoever. Okay, you're dominant over me. You're using force to, or you're, you know, keeping me down. Or It's not a positive association. It's not something people generally want to sign up for. And the alternative to dominant, if you're not dominant, is submissive. And that definitely doesn't have a positive association either, especially in this the light of this conversation. Um, for women in general, you know, a lot of the fight of women and feminism over the years, over the decades, has been like not taking a submissive role in society. But it's about balance. So it's not about one having power over the other. And when we talk about motivating your dog, you know, I always want the dog to feel good about the work that they're doing. Um, I always want to, when if the dog, do, you know, lays down for me, I'm going to talk to that dog like that is the coolest thing I've seen all day. Oh, my gosh, you are brilliant. What a good down, good down. And they just eat it up, soak it up. They respond so well to that. Letting them know how genuinely you appreciate the work that they're doing. (gasps) How amazing they are for doing that work. And maybe they get a treat. Also, um, not all the time, but, you know, I use treats in training. It's fine. It's not a bribe, though. Um, So it's kind of a balance of like, okay, I'm going to ask you to lay down. And I know that you know what it means. 
And so I'm going to get it. And so if the dog doesn't lay down, then you just stay in it with them until you get them to do it. But you don't force them into it, like physically. If they understand what it means and you've already taught them to it, there's no reason to force them into it. So, again, what did I say? Like, I keep coming back to this. This this conversation brings up a lot of opportunity about a lot of other kind of deep topics. Um, power versus force. That's a doozy. Um, certainly something that this culture could um, learn a little bit about. But, you know, true power is without force. So if I'm you know, that powerful, or if I am that good at what I do, you know, why would I need to use force to get a dog to lay down for me? And if the dog just so badly doesn't want to work, some breeds just don't really like obedience. Like, I'll get them to do it, but then maybe it's just not their deal. You know, there's other other ways that you can make sure that they, they listen to you and do what you ask, but, you, you know, you kind of got to know who you're working with, too. Um. So so it doesn't mean that you're that you're if you're not using force, it doesn't mean that you're being a total pushover. It just means that you're not using force, but you can still have a strong presence established with the dog. Listen, you need to do what I ask you to do. And I'm not going to go away until you do it, but I'm not going to force you into it. It's just kind of having respect for the animal that you're working with. So there's just a lot there. And it's one of my favorite things to talk about. So uh, let's take a break and uh, we'll be back with just uh, some closing thoughts. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Body language. Body language. Pure Air's powerful formula lets you eliminate pet odors safely. It's strong enough to effectively get rid of smells like urine, plus stronger odors like those that can be caused by illness. Pure Air is safe enough to spray directly onto people, animals, or use in the bath or laundry. Pure Air is perfect for dealing with dire situations, refreshing your dog between baths, or just before company comes. Pure Air is the most effective product you can buy to remove stinky pet odors safely. Find it at stores like Mud Bay, McClendon's, and Natural Pet Pantry, or visit their website, pureair.com. That's pure, A-Y-R-E, dot com. I'm Julie Forbes, host of The Dog Show. Pure Air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair discusses issues that are important to you like good health and well-being, finding a new job and building your business, overcoming life's big challenges and making sense out of chaos, and living with passion and joy. Join us Mondays at noon Pacific for Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. See conversationslive.net for show schedule and guest information. Remember, you're listening to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And uh, just so much to talk about. It's one of the reasons I love doing this show is that there's uh, no, shortage of, no shortage of topics. After over 300 episodes, I have people oftentimes ask me, well, don't you run out of things to talk about? It's actually the opposite. The more that I 
do this, the more there is to talk about. And, um, you know, I was thinking about all the different shows that we've done over the years and the wonderful experts and organizations and authors and all, all sorts of people doing really wonderful things, um, sharing really great information about dogs. And I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to talk with them and to share them with you. We have over 300 episodes archived on our website, dogradioshow.com. If you haven't been to the new website, check it out. It's uh, had a makeover um, recently, relatively recently, um, given that we've been on the air for over six years now. And uh, you can see a video of when I was on uh, A&E Network for a short bit um, called Everyday Originals. That's on the homepage. And then there's also a section where I share some of my favorite dog videos, which are really fun to watch. You can check that out on the homepage as well. There's a blog that has, uh, sh you know, information from each show, uh, contact information. If I've, uh, you know, interviewed an organization and you want to find out their website or if I mention an article and you want the link to the article, that's in the blog section as well as some articles that I've written about my area of expertise, dog training and behavior. So you can get that all on the new website, which is dogradioshow.com. There's also a contact form. So this is where you can communicate with me. And I love hearing from listeners. We have listeners all over the country and all over the world. And some of you have reached out to me and have asked me for a dog show car sticker which I'm happy to send out to anybody who wants one or, you know, however many you want. Just let me know. How many do you want? Uh, you can send me an email, host at dogradioshow.com, and uh, just give me your mailing address, and I'm happy to send you out however many dog show car stickers you'd like. They look exactly like the oval that's at the top of the website, that oval logo uh, with the orange dog and the blue background. That's what the sticker looks like, and it has our website on it too. So those are really fun. I actually just spotted a car sticker around Seattle um, on, was it Monday? That's always really fun to see those too. I'm like, oh, there's a dog show car sticker. So don't hesitate to get in touch with me if you'd like me to send you a free dog show car sticker. Otherwise, um, maybe you have a question about your dog that you'd like me to answer on air or you know of an organization that you th think would be great to be um, interviewed or a topic uh, you know uh, last week I did a show about canine epilepsy that was really really informative and interesting and then it turned out um, earlier today one of my clients who I met with her dog just had a seizure yesterday so last week I did this um interview about ep epilepsy and seizures, which are not the same thing, but, and then, you know, s this week actually came in contact with somebody whose dog just had her first seizure and well, what does that mean? And all that kind of stuff. So, you know, don't hesitate to get in touch. If you have a question for me, if you have a suggestion for me, if you want a dog show car sticker, send me your address, I'll mail you one. Um, or if you're interested in advertising your business um, to my audience, um, then there is opportunity for that too. We can see if it's a good fit and it's a very affordable way to reach a large audience of intelligent dog lovers. So all great reasons to get in touch. You can either go to our website, dogradioshow.com and fill out the contact page, 
or you can just send me an email directly, host at dogradioshow.com. Also, you can get in touch with me if you live either if you live in Seattle and you'd like to set up a, you know, greater Seattle area. Um, If you need some help with your dog for training and behavior, we can set up a private session as well for that. And I can help you with your dog or if even if you live um, not locally and you'd like to set up a phone consultation, at least to get some guidance I'm available for that as well, too. So you can get in touch with me, host at dogradioshow.com, or you can go to my training website as well for uh, different contact information. Um, Sensitivedog.com is my training website. Reminder that Pure Air Odor Eliminator is on sale at QFC stores for the month of March. So we've got several more days left of that. So when you're in QFC doing your grocery shopping, if you have QFC quality food center grocery stores in your area, then uh, go to the cleaning section and find Pure Air Odor Eliminator is on sale. So you can pick it up there. You can also get it on their website, the Pure Air Store and, uh, dot com. And of course, it's Pure Air, A-Y-R-E. Big thanks to the Natural Pet Pantry, raw and cooked food for dogs and cats. You can find them online at naturalpetpantry.com and also Jet City Animal Clinic. Dr. Erica Anderson and her staff take great care of your pet in Seattle, jetcityanimalclinic.com. Wanted to give you a heads up far in advance that the Vashon Sheepdog Trials this year are being held September 10th through the 13th. One of my favorite events all year long in this area, dog events, is the Vashon Sheepdog Trials. Love this event. It's on beautiful Vashon Island, which is just west of the city of Seattle. And um, you get to watch the wonderful working relationship between handler and dog and watch these border collies, mostly border collies and some Australian Kelpies work sheep. And it's just a gorgeous setting. Um, You're on the hillside of a farm watching dogs, um, you know, do what they were made to do. And um, for me, it doesn't get much better than that. There's local food vendors, uh, local craft people selling goods. Um, it's an excellent event. VashonSheepdogClassic.com is the website for more information. And this year, 2015, it is being held September 10th through the 13th. And we will be there. Darcy and I will be there all weekend long. We can't wait for that event. We'll be back next Wednesday live from 2 to 3 p.m. Thanks so much for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes.